0: M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas.
1: I've just been sitting there in the corner clutching my little anxiety blanket.
0: This is M. Salation. I'm Michael, I'm from the suburbs. I can't play sport. And would anyone like to watch Aladdin on VHS?
1: <laughs> Could I have birthed them? No? Feel free to perv.
0: I mean, your jeans are very strong. <laughs> Thank very <you>. strong. <laughs> I
1: can't believe my jeans aren't in there going, ska! Yeah! You're in M. Salation. Am I putting a googie egg up my juts? <laughs> hey, gang. How are you? M. here. I don't know why I introduce myself every time. I wonder if any of you have ever turned it on and go, hmm, I wonder who's hosting this. Um, thank you so much for your feedback on the last two episodes we've put out. It's been mostly positive. If you haven't listened, please go and do so. Um, I've received a lot of messages saying that you guys too want to be better allies. Look, I did receive the odd, you should stick to comedy. This is boring. I remember when this podcast was funny. But that's okay. If we lose those people along the way, that's that's how we refine and shape this podcast. (laughs) You know, I started Emsolation as a way to kind of deal with things that were going on in the outside world and a place of escape. And, you know, now it's about navigating the new normal. And I feel like it still has a place. So I'm going to keep doing it. You know, it's, as a collective, we've dealt with the bushfires, we've dealt with corona, and now we're dealing with, you know, all the anti-racism talk that's going on and and the, the change that's happening and the hard conversations. And I think it's, you know, it's a lot of change for people to deal with. So if you're feeling uncertain and uneasy and there's shifting sands beneath you, that's totally normal. Please remember that. Like, I feel, I want you to know, I feel exactly the same way. I, like you, walk around kind of going, well, who am I? And... What I wanted to say is, first of all, thank you for listening. And also a podcast like this, I rely on you guys to spread the word. So if today you could remember to share Emsolation, um, especially I'd love for you to share yesterday's episode with Santilla, just because it helps get the word out. And this is a labor of love, this project. And I know I bang on about it all the time on socials. And if you're listening now, congratulations on figuring out podcasts because something like only 13% of people even know what a podcast is. But it may mean you introducing podcasts to someone you know and someone you think might benefit from listening. So, again, I'm calling upon Miami to um, put the call out and send this podcast to three people you think might love it. But what I did want to kind of touch on briefly before I bring Michael in is – There's been a lot of talk about white people showing support and how they show it and when they show it. And I want you to really kind of dig in now, if you're a white person, if you're a person of colour, I mean, I think you'll hear what I'm saying and maybe not be nodding your heads. I I keep reading white people, well-meaning white people, complaining that they can't do anything right, that they feel like... No matter what they do, it's the wrong thing. And I saw this addressed by one of my favourite humans, um, author, TV host, and DJ Flex Mummy. And she is getting; she's an African Australian, and she's been getting DMs from her white followers saying that they felt attacked by her, even though they're trying to show support. Because Flex said that she felt like you know a lot of people were just jumping on a trend by supporting Black Lives. And I really loved her response to it. This is what Flex said. If you feel guilty for your actions or how you choose to show support because I said something, that says more about your resolve and purpose. If you stand by what you do, then the critique should be considered constructive, not offensive. And I loved that because I have been walking around feeling like, oh God, I'm I'm just so scared of doing the wrong thing or I don't want it to look like I'm just doing it because everyone else is doing it. But if I dig down on that, I kind of am. And so are you, we have to kind of stick with that and be uncomfortable in that space. What's happened with George Floyd and what's happening around the world has caused me to sit up and take notice. That's step one and a lot of you too. So it would look like to a person of color that we're just jumping on a trend. Remember that. And virtual support isn't enough. Like, you know, the whole internet is jumping on this and massive companies like Nike and Netflix are supporting Black Lives Matter when 20 years ago, they would not have touched that publicly. So I think the timing of us all supporting Black Lives Matter does stink. It does. And I do understand why people of colour don't trust our resolve. And I think it's how white allies show up once things have settled down, once things aren't seen to be, you know, popular. It's how we make long-term, deep, systematic changes around us and what we do in our quiet moments as white allies. That's what's going to count. It's how we all become more aware of the challenges and injustices of our own Indigenous community. I just want to say to you, keep at it. And as Flex said, if you are true in your resolve to be a better ally, you will take on the criticism from people of colour about your activism and you will listen and you will learn. And guys, I get it. It's f***ing uncomfortable. No one likes to feel like a bad person and you're not a bad person. If you are feeling sticky, if you are feeling like, God, I can't do anything right, keep going. Because... They want you to be allies. People of color want us as allies, but they want us not to be part-time patties, you know, good time friends. They want us there when this all kind of moves out of the news cycle. Okay, lecture over. (laughs) I'm about to bring in Michael. We've got a great episode today. Uh, Nazim Hussain, who is one of my all-time favorite humans. He's someone who, um, we both kind of started out in comedy. He was a bit after me, but he's probably in my... Top five easy favorite comics. He's clever, he's brave, he's smart. <laughs> he always makes me laugh. He's totally inappropriate. He's got an amazing kind of story for you today about sriracha sauce PJs and how they've been life changing. He's obsessed with sriracha sauce. So you're going to love that, I promise you. And um, Michael Lucas and I are going to talk Disney and Donald Trump. Yep, that's right. I'll bring him in next.
2: M. Rassiano and Michael Lucas. This is M salation.
1: Michael Lucas coming straight in off the bench. Hello. Uh we're we gonna I mean we've got this <laughs> it's, it's just such a strange time and I'm going to start off with something strange. So you know how I have to watch Moana every day at four four o'clock? Like there's a four o'clock screening at my place.
0: Yes, and it's normally on Insta and I appreciate it. (laughs) I watch your son watching Moana and it's the most (laughs) joyful part of the day.
1: I know Marcella had a go at me for the amount I'm posting about Moana and she said, God, people you know, will think you're getting paid by Disney. I'm like, no, I want to pay Disney for making this show so that I may have some peace. Like he's just obsessed with it.
0: Although, Disney, if you are listening and you are interested in sponsoring, sponsorship um, opportunities, you will find <laughs> two very, very strong, very committed allies right here. If this podcast Absolutely. gets sponsored by Disney.
1: <laughs> but I just, there's one moment in, because obviously I've been doing a lot of soul searching as have the majority of white people I know, to be honest. Mm. And there's one moment in Moana where she goes to Tahiti to restore the heart and she has to encounter the lava monster Takar and it turns out that Takara is actually Tafiti, and she's just really pissed off because Maui stole her heart, which is fair enough. And there's a moment where Moana says to the sea, let her come to me because she's made of lava, she can't go near the water. So it's a slow-mo motion and Moana is singing to Takara, who's actually Tafiti. Um, <laughs> I know who you are. I know who you truly are. This is not who you are. You've just become this way because they made you this way. It's this whole moment of just people have misunderstood you or you haven't really been your best self. And I just found myself really crying yesterday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, hang on, it's so you're not Moana in moment. this
0: circumstance. You're the person she's singing. No, it's like she's singing to you. I'm- is that's what, that's what you feel.
1: Yeah. So Moana has said to the ocean, let M come to me. And M's on fire. She's a lava monster. She's angry. <laughs> She's like sh- ashamed. <laughs> She's not sure who sh- who the. F- she is. She's a confused podcast
0: host that's just gone from bagging out Britney Spears' Instagrams to suddenly realizing they're a cog and a racist wheel of oppression. Yes, She's in trouble.
1: Exactly. And I'm just watching, watching the lava princess crawl along the bed, desperately grabbing at her, at her heart, wanting it back. And this beautiful, you know, princess is there, or daughter of a chief, not a princess holding it, saying, I can see you for who you are. It's just like, God. I think everyone needs to watch Moana at the moment. I just feel like...
0: <laughs> if M were president at this time... Yes. She would be saying, we are having a curfew, but then a national screening of Moana. You are all the lava monster you will be sung to.
1: 100%. And do you know what the other thing I realised is? Maui, who is um, her, like... He's not the baddie, but he's it's not a goodie. He's a baddie that becomes he's a He's the goodie. rock, right? He, yeah, he's the rock. The, the character that the rock plays. He and Dumbledore have a lot in common. Dumbledore from Harry Potter, stay with me. So, like, I've been thinking a lot about how they're kind of in charge by the universe of this prodigy kid. And they're really kind of laxadaisy with their safety. Like at the start, Maui's throwing Moana in the ocean. He's trying to desert her in a cave. He doesn't give a crap. (laughs) And same with Dumbledore. He didn't care if Harry lived or died. He wouldn't give him any helpful – he'd just be like campily swanning in and out like a phoenix, clapping his hands with his wizards. (laughs) And I'm just like – Dumbledore and Maui are the same character.
0: You are really having epiphany after epiphany in these Moana viewings every day.
1: (laughs) Are there other times where you've taken
0: life epiphanies from Disney cartoons?
1: Yes, Frozen 2. When Elsa is um, in the ice cave right at the end, near the end, and she's singing a song called Show Yourself, where she realises she's not a queen, she's more than that. She needs to be the true person of all the things that make her.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That could have been both a a fashion and a spiritual epiphany. You seem to have taken cues from both.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry. I just like you and I have been talking so much and you were We were talking about, we wonder if this is going to be a true cultural shift and God, I hope it is because if this doesn't do it, what the hell will? And, Um, I asked you when we are talking about the last time we both had those moments, those convictions, and then you broke to me in a weird text message that you were once a vegan.
0: Oh, I know. Well, look, this isn't (laughs) – This is not necessarily an inspiring story to tell because there have been plenty of times where I've had convictions that I have stuck by for the rest of my life. Yeah. But there was one time when I was in my early 20s, in fact, 21, just post Sydney Olympics, I backpacked for ages and I had epiphany after epiphany. I mean, maybe not the level of you watching Moana on 4 p.m. on the afternoon, <laughs> but I was doing a lot of reading of Naomi Klein books and everything. And when I came back to Australia, I decided I was going to be completely different. And as sort of a version of hippie, Michael was born and he was bearded. He refused to drive a car, would never drive a car and uh, would never buy anything with, if it was produced by any kind of multinational corporation, would just only shop local and did not want to support at all in, in the killing of animals for food. So was a vegan. That was me at 22. You, and the sad thing is that this is so shocking for him because this was when she oh she was a new mum. You were a new mum. You were in Adelaide? Yeah, you were in Adelaide. Yeah. So we were not in contact yeah. and it is now unrecognisable. No. It slowly drifted away. Oh, my away.
1: God. I still <laughs> don't have a car, but, but you, my
0: husband has a car that I drive quite a lot. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> You do. You do drive it a lot. But, uh, but I mean, what's when, I mean, when you stuck to? What what was a moment in time that changed you?
0: Oh, well, I know I know we're only uh, a few years in, so plenty of time for this to all go to shit. But I I would say the Me Too uh, movement. And all mm. of the response to that. I mean, it, in some ways there are some parallels, I think, to this moment because it was like there was this one tipping point story that was so shocking. So, you know, at the moment it was the murder of mm. George Floyd, but it was the Harvey Weinstein story that, I mean, there was an accumulation, but that was the thing that was just so horrific. And mm. um, and the same sort of mm. social media outpouring and, and, and it was an epiphany, like much as you know, now I'm sitting there going, I I think I just sort of sit around and let this shit happen. Uh, At the same time, I was thinking, God, yeah, I can think of so many times where I've been aware of bullying and harassment and I've just sort of let it slide. And I I truly do feel that that has shifted certainly, I mean, certainly like massively in the workplace, working in film and TV because that was obviously particularly affected by the Me Too um, Mm -hmm. movement. So we, I mean the amount of discussion we have now about bullying. And I just remember times where you sort of think, gee, that person is explosive and inappropriate at times, but they're really talented. So this is what you do. Mm -hmm. You just put up with that. And I really think that there was a line in the stand. I hope it's for everyone, but certainly for me personally, where I would never go back, I I like to think. uh, Unlike my veganism, which fell apart when I walked up a steep hill and thought I was going to faint because I was doing it terribly, I feel like my (laughs) commitment to Me Too will hold.
1: Yeah. Yeah, look, it's the same for me. I think I was always kind of part of the boys' club because it was easier and the Me Too movement, oddly, as a woman, also made me just – my tolerance for it disappeared completely. Even with my husband, even if he said something slightly off or just anyone around me in times gone by, especially working in a male-dominated environment like Breakfast Radio, I would just let it slide because I was already viewed as a difficult female already. Mm. And then I just started picking everyone up on everything. And this was, you know, I was on Sydney Breakfast during this time and, and all the, all the men around me were just finding me exasperating because – in the past I'd let things slide. And then I just started every time they said something slightly demeaning or or the the quota for female hiring wasn't met or just, I just started being ruthless on everyone around me. And I don't regret that. And I don't, I wouldn't change that. But yeah, I, I think, I hope that this represents a huge cultural shift and I know a lot of people are uncomfortable and I kind of speak about this, you know, before you got here and you should be uncomfortable. And if you're feeling uneasy and itchy and, and guilty, then you're on the right path. I think that's really important to, to remember. But I mean, the thing that got me, I, um, have you seen the pictures of Trump with the Bible? Oh my God.
0: The photo op that they, that one of his spokesperson people were coming out going it wasn't a photo op he went to the church as many presidents do oh my god oh
1: my god but it was so blatant so in the past we should explain I you call me Nostradamus M just in one particular niche field yeah if you can explain yeah
0: well you yeah, yeah M can predict election outcomes or at least has done I was in America in 2016 and. On the on the day of the election, the whole way through the campaign, M had been maintaining Donald Trump can win. And I thought, oh, M, come on. I know, you know, you're taking a bleak view of things. And even on the day, I remember you sent me a text. I was in Utah and you sent me a text going, you know he's going to win. I still remember going for a hike in Utah and saying to Adrian, M totally, I mean, M maintains he's going to win. Isn't it weird to think that that's even a possibility? And then it totally happened. And you knew, mm. you knew.
1: Yeah. I do because I also like, I like to kind of just take in the landscape of all media and I especially go and read the other side because I think it's important to step outside of your left wing vortex bubble. So I could see how popular he was and how people, how much they hated Hillary and he was the only kind of option. But I want to tell you, and I sent you a text yesterday, I think that staying in the bunker for the weekend with the lights off and hiding out have turned a lot of Trump supporters because he's always so staunch and out in front and I'm bulletproof and I won't wear a mask and the virus won't get me. And and then he went and hid for two days. Mm. That's why he came out and had – he was holding the Bible upside down, by the way, guys. <laughs> and also three priests that work at that church have come out and said they they tear gassed <laughs> us, like police manhandled us <laughs> so he could get in front of <laughs>
0: So for you, oh, didn't quite guy. make up for being in the bunker? Was it the photo op you were no. looking No. It looked like, honestly, if you told me that image of him standing there, it, it felt like an image from some sort of Stephen King dystopian, like, horror. I know. Just the fact that there was sort of gas still in the air. He's he's weird, It's all a boarded up church. He's holding an upside down Bible. What were they going for?
1: But also the whole thing is all, even all, like church leaders have come out and just said why are you using the bible as a political prop that is not like he's he's being attacked on all fronts and i just think right now joe biden is i mean he's the democratic nominee he's it's either joe or trump that's what we're down to now guys and i think this is like this is this massive choice facing america is <laughs> What do we do? Like they're so radically different now. You now have Joe Biden out there stumping, giving these impassioned speeches saying that, but calling Trump racist, saying he's inciting violence, saying he's quoting 1960s racist police chiefs with the you start looting, we start shooting stuff. Mm. And I just, I think, and I'm going to say it, I think Biden might win.
0: She said, I got it in a text and I was, I was in the toiletries aisle of the IGA and honestly it was... (laughs) All of us. It was yeah. like a little, it was like a little shot of light. Cause up until now, she's been saying just, he's going to get a second term for sure. Another four years, another four years, mm. Biden. You, you also, also let's not forget you called Joe Biden at a time when I was wondering where I'm going, oh, maybe I did. Elizabeth Warren or maybe Pete yes, Buttigieg. She just sat there like thank nodding you. her head and then saying, it's going to be thank Joe you. Biden. It's going to be Joe Biden.
1: I told you, I told you for months. That's okay. I even, I predicted Abbott years out as well, but that's fine. We'll wait and see. It's just such an – I mean, people don't realise you and I are obsessed with US politics and our text messages are equal parts Brittany, equal parts Trump, mm. Biden, mm. Warren. So, judge. So, we'll wait and see. Um, well, look, this went – I didn't plan anything. I wasn't sure what we were going to talk about. I said to Scott last night, I don't even know if we should put out a podcast, but I feel like I, feel like I went some places. I feel like it covered some ground. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I feel like people are going to be putting on Moana this afternoon, hoping for some sort of spiritual epiphany, and I hope they find it. I
1: think they will. Guys, it's right near the end where she get. None of this will make sense if you haven't seen it, but I am a one-woman PR machine for Moana. I think it's... Probably the best Disney film.
0: <laughs> I'm getting suspicious. Have you signed some deal with no, Disney that I don't know no, about? Because if you kept that from me, <laughs>
1: no, it's just so pure and right, and just so, speaks to the times right now. And she's a she's a person of color, and she doesn't need a man. And she's representing the wishes and the rights of her people, and she's putting herself on the line. And
0: she has a wonderful ballad that's one of the best ones they've done since Part of Your World. It's fantastic.
1: Ah. Oh, so good. Everything. But, yes, is going to be so mad, my daughter, that I've spoken about Moana again. But, anyway, oh, do you know what? I heard Marcella, like, correcting her friends yesterday, explaining to them why we don't say all lives matter, why black lives matter is, is important to say at the moment and saying all black lives matter isn't implying that white lives don't matter. She's like, she was explaining it And I was just so proud. <laughs> like, it's – if the next generation are Marcellas, like, I, I think it's going to be okay. I think – they're woke, they're aware. Oh, I want
0: Marcella to be the Prime Minister. <laughs> no question. Unfortunately, I don't think she's as keen nah. as, as we are. She
1: that. doesn't like confrontation. Can you imagine me birthing a child that doesn't like confrontation? Chella avoids it actively, so I think politics would not be good for her. Because <laughs> <laughs> anytime someone challenged her, she'd go and watch t- two days worth of Gilmore Girls. That's how my Chella processes trauma: is she disappears into her room and watches Gilmore Girls on repeat for a couple of days. That's
0: all, we can we can schedule that into the prime <laughs> ministerial calendar. <laughs> Parliament has ended and the PM will be taking Gilmore Girls' time at the moment.
1: Because Gilmore Girls is like, she it does represent my mother, me and her in some ways. Like my mum isn't nearly as awful as the mum in Gilmore Girls, but she does have that kind of upper class, white lady, strong presence and... I had Marcella quite young and my personality is similar to Laura Lyon. Chella is Rory. So this is like, I think she watches it. If, just, it reminds her of her own family a bit, which is kind of nice. I like that. I like to think that.
0: You really are finding the connections <laughs> in pop culture at the moment.
1: Michael, <laughs> pop culture is my faith. It's it. my church. And so I must go to it in times of need to find meaning. All right. I'll let you go. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll chat soon. Talk
2: soon. Bye. This is Emsolation. Well,
1: you're in for a treat now. My pal, Nazim Hussain, is easily one of the funniest comics on the face of the planet. You can find him at Nazim Hussain on Instagram, N A Z E E M H U S S A I N. Go and follow him, consume everything that he does. You're about to hear an incredible story. When I listened to it, I was like, what? What? It's amazing. Uh, it involves sriracha sauce, pajamas. And saving lives. That's all I'm going to say. Take it away, Nazi.
2: Hey, everyone. Very excited to be on Em's podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. I thought I'd share with you a very short story about something that happened to me in the last week that um, has left me feeling good about myself, okay? I did a good thing, which is exceptional. Normally, I don't, and you'll, you'll know what I mean when I tell this story. So I guess first things first, you should probably know that I'm a massive sriracha sauce fan, you know, the... Uh, The chilli sauce, I love it. I squirt it on everything. And I love it so much that on Eid, that's like um, Muslim Christmas, but it's better because it's based in truth. And, uh, (laughs) joke, Um, that was last week. My sister, she got for me a PJ set with sriracha bottles printed on the top and on the pants, and I loved it so much. I took a photo of myself wearing it. I posted it on Instagram, posted it on Facebook. Lots of people replying with laughing emojis, lols. Love it. Where can I get it from? My husband loves sriracha. I want to get it. Uh, Great, lots of love about my PJs with Sriracha bottles printed on her. But then someone messaged me back like a hater comment about my PJ set. And normally I'd reply to someone like that by like getting down to their level. Like I'd go to their Facebook page or their Instagram page, I'd find a photo of them with their family and I'd Photoshop my face onto their wife's face and send it back to them or their dog's face. Or I'd I'd, I'd make fun of their physical appearance or just, I get petty, I'm a bad guy. But then I remember this conversation I had with my friend Susan Carland, Dr. Susan Carland, um, a couple weeks ago. And she was telling me how she receives, she routinely gets hate, right, online. Like people t- tweet her, troll her, mean messages, you know, because she's a woman and she's a, she's a Muslim woman and she's an academic and she's, you know, she's not, not afraid to share her opinions online. Um, anyway, what she does is every time she um, gets a hate tweet, she pledges to donate $1 to UNICEF for every hate tweet. She's literally actually donated from her own money thousands of dollars as a result of that promise. Um, And also sometimes when she gets hate tweets, she replies back like with nice messages or she'll ask the person how they are. Anyway, she said to me, Nazim, why don't you just try that the next time someone sends you hate? Just see what happens. It'll be funny, if anything, you know. It'll be interesting. It's just just, just an experiment. Give it a go. So I thought, all right, I'll try it. So this guy sends, sends me some hate message. Um, and so instead of just replying the way I normally do, I, well, this is how the conversation went down. I'll just, I'll just read it to you. Um, the guy says, this is not an ironically funny shirt. It's shit. You're shit. And I said, what are you having a sook about? This is not where I started to use Susan's advice. Then he goes, the hot sauce shirt. Forget it. I'm just in a shit mood. And that shirt pushed me over the edge. And then I thought, all right, I'm going to try and do the Susan thing. I said, lol, fair enough. I go for walks when I'm feeling flat. Fresh air in the lungs always does something good for my mood. Three heart emojis. And then he replied saying, I exercised once a few years ago. Didn't care for it, but thanks. And then I replied, hey, you got to do whatever makes you feel good. I'm here for you, bro. X. And then he replied, didn't expect this. You're a gem of a bloke. Thumbs up emoji. And then I said, likewise. X. It's not easy to admit you're feeling shit. Strange times. And then he said, high five to that after social distancing, that is. And then I reply with a laughing emoji. He replied with a laughing emoji. Ha, ha, ha. I closed the laptop, end the conversation. I felt good about myself. Fast forward to two days ago. And I checked my messages. This guy sent me another message. And the message said, you saved my life. And then my Facebook... <laughs> Sent him an auto reply that said, "Thanks for your message. I don't check these very often. If this is a business inquiry, please email my manager, Beck Sutherland." <laughs> Thanks, Naz. Anyway, then I replied saying, "What happened, bro? How are you?" And then he said, "I have climbed out of my hole because you replied. You never know by just replying to a fan. You the man." That really blew my mind. I was uh, I was kind of dumbfounded. And look, to be honest, I felt like replying to him saying, "Look, you don't thank me, okay? Thank Sriracha." and Dr. Susan Carlin. That is the power of that sauce. It's so good. If I I didn't like that sauce so much, my sister wouldn't have bought me those PJs, and then I wouldn't have posted that, you wouldn't have sent me that hate, and then your life wouldn't have been saved. But anyway, I've now decided I'm going to try to be nicer online, mostly because it makes me feel good, and I'm a self-interested person. So that's my story. Thanks for having me, guys. I love you. I love Em. Don't cough in people's faces.
1: (laughs) Can you believe any of that, all of that? By the way, Nazim is not a bad person. He keeps saying that. But he's honestly one of the kindest, most understanding, generous humans I know. And the fact that he's an Australian male, straight comic, you know, that's saying something. (gasps) Zing. Well, that's it for today's episode of Emsolation. It had everything, as always. Thank you so much for supporting us and listening. Uh, If you're following, if you're on the Instas, we're at Emsolation Podcast. And um, remember to recommend us to friends. And remember to go and listen to our bonus episode from yesterday um, with Santilla Chinguepe, my friend, activist, journalist, documentary filmmaker, incredible woman. Um, And we'll talk to you next week. Have a great weekend. I really care about you guys and I I really value you all in this community. Um, And we'll talk soon. Be kind with yourselves and with others. Bye bye.
2: A podcast, one production.